one. Welcome to the week ahead, brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Chris Versace, Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, and joining me is Lenore Hawkins, Tomatica's Chief Macro Strategist, as we outline what you need to pay attention to in the week ahead. Lenore, last week, an unbelievable week for equities, but it had a lot to do with what was going on with treasuries in the bond market. Um, that's your domain. So I'm going to say recap for us what happened and put some context around it before we talk about the key happenings for the coming days. Yeah, last week was, uh, I think the only thing that really ended up a good bit was the VIX. <laughs> Volatility was about 20% on the week. Uh, everything else had a really tough time. And like you said, that was that was really driven by what was going on in the bond market. And ironically enough, overall, Fed, I wouldn't say they had a great week. Uh, Powell was testifying before Congress this week, uh, this past week, and he told them that while he believes that inflation remains soft and that the out economic outlook continues to be highly uncertain, bond market didn't really believe him. The day oh, no, after that, no, no, it, it it called total BS on what he had to say. It it really did. Uh, the day after that, the seven year Treasury auction may have just been the worst seven year auction in history. It had the worst coverage. Then again, the data does, to be fair, only go back to two thousand and nine. But it resulted in dealers taking on more than they ever have in the past eight years. That means investors didn't want to buy the bonds. Um, that's the exact opposite of what Powell said just the day before on Wednesday. Uh, then he also said that rising rates were a good sign and that the economy is recovering. Now, rising rates can be a good sign because it can mean that the economy is recovering. But when you look at Thursday's auction and what was going on in the market this week, it really is not saying that things are great. What it's saying is that the, the economy, the, the investors are worried about inflation, not about economic acceleration. Well, let's let, let's talk about that because we got some economic data last week that continued the trend of what we've seen for the most part, which was stronger than expected. You know, the durables orders numbers, even though core capital goods wasn't as strong, downticked in January from December and a couple uh, previous months. The overall headline figures, again, for the most part, were stronger than expected. And I, I think what you're seeing is investors getting a little worried, right, that the economy is, you know, heating up. We're going to throw 1.9 trillion potentially in stimulus yeah. on top of that, combining with the inflationary data that we're already seeing, whether it's, you know, we talked about this previously, you know, shipping costs, lumber, chips, um, and a variety of other things. Uh, and I think, correct me, this is your, your domain, but even alongside the personal income and spending data for January, the PCE index came in a little hotter than expected. Yeah, and that's, let's dig into that a little bit because there's there's some Wait. hard facts about what happened in 2020 that uh, I think we need to keep in mind. Now, overall in 2020, real GDP contracted 3.5%. Now that's the worst the economy has performed going all the way back to 1946. Employment dropped nearly 6%. It was the biggest crash in employment since the Great Recession. Yet, Real personal income rose 5.1%. Now, in a normal year, that's around 2.5%. So we had the worst economic crisis we've had since World War II. And real personal income came in twice as strong as in a typical year and was the strongest we've seen in the past 20 years. What's that all about? Well, that's Transfer because payments? real... 
Yes, real personal transfer payments from the government rose nearly 40%. Now, that's more than triple what we've normally seen in past recessions. So keep in mind, when we're looking at this spending, this spending is because of government taking money from one part and giving it to another. Now, what does that mean? That means that the U.S. economy is super, super levered at this point. And we all know that leverage can be great on the upside and pretty nightmarish on the downside. So when we think about inflation and you think about those rising interest rates, consider that the U.S. economy has never been so vulnerable to changes in interest rates. At this point, every 100 basis point increase in rates is going to pull another 800 billion, that's about 4% of GDP, out of the economy just to service the debt. So when we think about this inflation and growth, you can't separate the two from each other because the economy is so levered more than we've ever seen before. And I imagine that those higher rates are going to impact um, refinancing down the line as well. Because, I mean, if if we think about this, kind of game it out a little bit, rates, as far as we know, are probably not going to head back to where they were. Right? At least not I think that is, well, that is the big question. Um, Because Powell is under the impression, and the market so far has been thinking it, oh, the Fed's got your back, the Fed's got your back. But something very interesting happened in Australia this week as well. Uh, on Wednesday, Australia's central bank said, okay, enough of this with the rates rising. And they went in and they bought as many bonds on Wednesday as they did any time during the pandemic in 2020, during uh, March of 2020, when things were really hitting. So they went in and they did basically what, we, what they did when you know, the world was falling apart because of the pandemic. And at the end of the day, their tenure went up 11 basis points. So that means the bond market just totally imploded on itself. And Australia's central bank was not able to stop rising rates by buying. So that is something to be to be watching because the Fed may not be able to have control of this. So when you hear Powell say during his testimony in front of Congress this week, and this is a direct quote, by the way, um, the Fed will continue to increase our holdings of treasury securities and agency mortgage-backed securities at least at their current pace until substantial further progress has been made toward our goals. That tells you they're not backing off. No, they're definitely not backing off, but is it gonna be enough? I mean, at some point, all of this buying, you start getting diminishing returns. For example, the US Treasury now owns about 25% of all outstanding tips. Those are the inflation protected bonds. That's up from about 8% at the beginning of the year. I mean, when the Federal Reserve owns a quarter of the tips, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not telling you anything. Wait a minute, back up. 25% compared to 8% at the beginning of the year? At the beginning of the year, of, of 2020. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, still high, yeah, don't get me wrong. Not but, this year. I mean, that's yes. a little different no, than but it's insane. Months. I mean, that's, there's, there's no market. So, so I think, what, what, you know, wrapping it all up, what we're seeing mm-hmm. is that the Fed, as we saw with Australia, the belief that the Fed can manage, can manipulate, can control the yield curve and rates, that started to come into question today. It did during the, the crisis in March, April of 20. 2020, it, it's happening again right now. This is something to very much pay attention to. Now, every time that this has been questioned before and things have gotten wobbly, the Fed's been able to come in and just wallop. And, and we returned back to, yeah, Fed's got your back. At some point, they won't be able to. And every time that they have to do these wallops, it's getting closer and closer to that point because each wallop becomes marginally less effective, right? Because they've already got so much that they own. So this is something to definitely be keeping an eye on. 
But if we look overall at the market, pretty much every of the major indices ended the week down lower. Um, the Dow, which has been kind of grinding higher since November, it, it swung again wildly on Friday, closed near the lows, um, trading just you know, around its 50-day moving average. The risk of a pullback here and for the NASDAQ as well is, is definitely on the rise. Um, the NASDAQ pulled back to its support and the March up from the, the March uptrend. That's both intermediate and short-term momentum are rolling over for the NASDAQ composite. So all of these guys are starting to look wobbly, which is not, not unsurprising given how overbought things have been. So when you look at that, I think a lot of people have been pointing towards the impact of higher rates headwind for the market and taking maybe a little more than the froth out of technology companies. And the thinking mm -hmm. is that they continue to borrow in order to finance their growth. Uh, it'll be incrementally more expensive for them. But what, what are your thoughts about home builders, automotive companies, because mortgages and auto loans are also based off the 10-year. And the 10-year has popped up, and again, I, you, you know this better than I, something like you know, 50 bips just in 2021 alone. Does that, does that kind of cool off those markets as well? I think it, it cools off those markets. The question is, is this going to be, is, the, is inflation a real concern? Now, in the beginning of the year, the first, you know, first quarter, second quarter, we're going to have some really bad base effects because everything crashed last year, right? So compared to last year, everything this year, if it's just barely okay, is going to look like it's, it's going gangbusters. The, the real question is, can you get inflation going when you have a massive output gap, right? So our ability to produce stuff is still way above the amount of stuff that we need to produce. When you've got such high levels of unemployment and when you've got potentially some really solid long-term unemployment problems, right? Because we've seen so much shifting to automation. And when all of this growth, and I'm doing little air quotes on that, that growth has been because we've been borrowing money just to put money into people's pockets and not to build anything that would then become you know, an investment that produces things going forward. We've just basically, the government has been putting money on the credit card to go spend today. And that all that debt does pull growth from the future. And as the economy starts to get going and those rates start to come bopping up, like we said, it's so such a levered economy. Does that then basically slam the brakes on the economy and we don't really get the growth and you don't get the inflation because you just start, you, everything just comes to a grinding halt again. So those are the two schools of thought. One is that there is so much debt that getting that inflation, the one thing you would like, right? Because when you have massive amounts of debt, you love inflation, makes that debt cheaper, that that may be the one thing we can't get. Okay. And just circling back to that personal income and spending report, I was shocked that the savings rate popped to like 20%. And we saw a huge pump uh, in January in disposable income. Does that get you a little excited? Perhaps the consumer can has more legs to spend in the next couple of months? Uh not when you've got employment where you've got it and not when so much of, of what we see in the economy has really been perverted, meaning uh, the, the moratoriums put on evictions for renters and foreclosures for mortgage holders. Right? We don't really know how bad the carnage has been. And all of these transfers have been hiding and, and you know, not knocking it. This was this was clearly something people are are struggling and we needed people to be able to eat and stay in a home. 
but we don't really know how bad the carnage has been from the lockdowns and how much damage long-term, right? How many restaurants are never coming back? How many small retail locations are never coming back? That all dictates what the growth trajectory is going to be going forward. We have no playbook for this. We've never seen anything like this. And I think the optimism is perhaps a bit overzealous. <laughs> okay. So was there anything else that caught your eye for setting context and setting the table for what we're going to focus on in the coming week? Uh, yes. I think one other one to keep an eye on in the coming week and going forward, one of the big concerns as we look at future growth is the likelihood of increased taxes. And this week, Yellen, Janet Yellen had a, she, she had a real banner week for me. Um, she told the G20 finance ministers um, that the DC is going to drop a contentious part of a proposal for um, reforming global digital taxation. And what that basically has been is the US has said, uh-uh, we're not playing game with putting taxes on the operating profits of our big tech companies. And Europe was not happy about that. Obviously, they want to put more taxation. So that's been a big battle back and forth. The Trump administration was not really willing to work with the G20. Um, looks like this administration is going to be. So here we go with, okay, the U.S. is clearing the way for taxes, which means that's another expense for these big tech companies. And that's just one more example of taxes because some point all this debt is going to mean we have to increase taxes somewhere. And that's going to mean lower profits. And that means lower future growth. Now, there was something else you were telling me about Janet Yellen. I, I think you were kind of, uh, you know, saying like, Janet, what are you thinking? Yeah. About something else so, she did last week. So Wednesday, this was, it was really interesting. Wednesday, um, she said that the U.S. fiscal position is in great shape. And as evidence of that, she said that the interest payments on the national debt as a percent of GDP are below where they were back in 2007. Well, that sounds fantastic, right? Like we've put massive amount of debt and it's fine because interest payments as a percent of GDP are, are much smaller. Okay, so I heard this and I thought, wow, that, that sounds an awful lot like when Bernanke assured us that the subprime mortgage crisis was contained. Right, right. Frankly, with all due respect, what the hell is she thinking? If you include not just the interest payment on the debt, but those portions of payments that the government has to make entitlements. We're talking social security, we're talking Medicare. These are things that you cannot really cut. Those are, those are kind of like debt-like obligations. We can't stop paying them. If you put those two together, US payments, interest payments are already past the point of no return. They're roughly 100% of tax receipts. So 100% of what the government's taking in through taxes is already going out to either service the debt or on those payments for things that you really can't cut, Medicare, Social Security, and, and so on. And for those people who want to get a visual of this, um, I, I suspect they could go to what I call the scariest page on the internet, yeah. which is the usdebtclock.org, yeah. and it kind of kind of lays it all out for you. Guts. Yeah. So it, it sounds to me that uh, you know for the week ahead, we're, we're going to get you know some key economic data. We'll talk about that in a second. We, we've got you know additional earnings as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like the real headwind for the market, the real focal point possibly, is going to be the balance between equities, stock prices, mm -hmm. and continued movement in the 10-year treasury. Yep. And really what this boils down to is how much can the Fed control, manipulate, and dominate the bond market? 
Well, you know what's interesting Which has basically been the same question we've been asking since like 2007. But, but what's different about it this time, and I, I just thought of this, is that historically there have been points in time where Bernanke, Yellen, even Powell have been able to jawbone the market to get them where it, to get the market where it wants it. And as you talked about earlier, he it did not work. Yeah, exactly. And and there have been times like last, was it December 2019 when Powell was saying, no, 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 we got this, we got this, and the bond market said, oh hell no, and they had to cut rates, right? So this is the the Fed likes to stay on top of it, but. Are they going to be able to? Well, we're, we're pushing up against their ability again. We'll see in the coming weeks that is something to really watch. Watch what the Fed is saying and watch how the bond market is reacting, what's going on with yields. And, and when you say watch what the Fed is saying, it's not just what Powell has to say, right? It, it, it's also what the other Fed heads are saying yeah. in their various speeches and, and other publications like, you know, this will, this will be a good transition for next week. So uh, next week we also get the beige book. So that'll be kind of interesting to watch and see what right. happens. But let, let me let me backtrack just a little bit. So, um, you know, we are starting off a new month, March. It is the beginning of the, beginning of the final month of the current quarter which means that we get all that usual start of the month economic data, right? So mm -hmm. key, key things to watch over the next couple of days will be the uh, February IHS market manufacturing PMI, as well as the same from the uh, ISM. A couple of days later, we'll get uh, both PMIs for the services part of the market, both for, um, from sorry, IHS market as well as ISM. And then the other big, big report to watch is going to be the February employment report. Now, yeah. Now, when we look at that kind of stuff, we always say it's not just the headline that matters, it's the innards of the report as well. Um, from my perspective, because we're going to get the PMI reports before the February employment report, we're going to obviously dig into the, the labor components, but we also want to dig into two other ones, uh, new order components, just to see what, what's it looking like mm -hmm. for the month of March. And then the second one would be any and all commentary in the written report about uh, inflation or delays or anything along that line. Anything, right. to add, anything to add to that? And also looking at productivity, because with all this talk about inflation, an inflation killer is productivity, right? If you have productivity going up, it's harder to get inflation, right? Because you're able to do more with less, right? So I'll be looking for Thursday's productivity and unit labor cost report. Okay, cool. So, and, and as we enter into March, hallelujah, we finally see that step down in earnings reports. Thank goodness. So that'll be uh, a little bit easier to digest them, but we're still going to get a number of them. What I will tell listeners is that uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to transition away from earnings reports and more towards investor conferences. And that means companies will be presenting and potentially updating what they're seeing with you know just a handful of weeks to go in the quarter. So those will start to take center stage. Uh, but Let's talk about the earnings that are on deck next week. On Monday, uh, we've got NIO, which is one of the EV companies out of China, as well as Zoom Video. Uh, the big question on NIO is going to be how many models and um, units are they actually manufacturing and delivering? What are their price points? For Zoom Video, we know Zoom has been a darling as a result of the pandemic. What do they see in terms of their outlook and profitability? Uh, Tuesday, um, we've got a number of retailers, everybody from Kohl's to Target to Nordstrom's to Ross stores, Urban Outfitters. Given consumer spending. We, well, consumer spending. And given what we saw on that personal income and spending report, did they see a pickup in January like a lot of others have talked about? 
uh, also too, how much was online and what did they see in terms of opening up more, sorry, a greater portion of their physical footprint? What are they gaming out for the rest of the year? Uh, another company that's reporting is Lumber Liquidators. Let's hear what they have to say about lumber prices and where they think the housing market is going. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, we've got some cybersecurity companies, Okta, Splunk. But the one that I really want to hear about is uh, DICOM. They're especially contractor. They are the ones who are responsible for building all the 5G networks, AT&T, Verizon, and the like that a lot of people are talking about. They really should see an acceleration in their business subject to some potential weather disruptions that happened earlier in the quarter. So their guidance is going to be crucial. Um, Thursday, uh, we've got Kroger. So we know that they're going to put up some good numbers because of the shift towards dining at home. I think that also helped Costco. Costco. <laughs> Costco's reporting as well. Yeah. The key for Costco though, is the membership income, right? Mm -hmm. High margin for them. And it's really dictated by the growth in their warehouse footprint. So investors will want to listen to the uh, expected capital spending plans for additional warehouse locations. We've also got Broadcom. Um, that's a known supplier for Apple. So we want to hear them confirm the 5G ramp cycle as well as other insights for the iPhone. And then um, other than that, Nor any, any other companies you got on your radar screen? Um, no, the other thing to be looking at is the latest developments on the Biden stimulus plan, getting that sucker passed. Uh, one of the areas of concern has been including the $15 minimum wage, and mandatory minimum wage. And if you think about the, if, we, if they force some more minimum wages, so what we've talked about today has been an increase in taxes, right? That the, you've got taxes going up um, on the tech companies. You've most likely got the Biden administration, not this year, but next year, probably going to increase corporate taxes. And this, you can think of this minimum wage as another way to increase sort of a tax forcing well, higher wage costs. Did you see what Costco did? They raised their minimum wage to $16. Yep. Good for them. They can pull it off. Great for them. I, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I just don't see how a lot of other companies, um, restaurant companies and the like can, can get away with that. You're going to see more and more automation. Well, it's either going to be automation or another reason to think that inflation picks up over the coming quarters. I mean, that would be the question. <laughs> I mean, think, I mean, well, I mean, think about it, right. If, if they have to, if the, how can they contend with higher, uh, sorry, how can they contend with higher input costs? It's either reduce their, you know, reduce their cost Margins. structure or, or prices. Yep. Well, I think that's a wrap. I think that's the week ahead.